to speak his name. You can whisper it. You can shout it. Just begin to speak his name. Jesus. Jesus. Jesus.
that you love them, that your mercy is everlasting, that your grace is available, that your goodness is in, is in, in their lives. Oh God, right now, let it be so. Let, it, let them experience it even now, I pray. Loose it, Jesus, in your name. message 
that I believe the Lord laid on my heart last night for Pentecost Sunday. I'll explain what all that is here in just a minute, but I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 on this Pentecost Sunday, I want to preach on this topic, unveiled. Unveiled. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I, I was talking to, I think it was Paul Rashke before uh, church as I was setting up the, the video stuff and and uh, looked in my Bible and said, I just need to figure out which verse I want to use uh, because I could read this whole chapter, but I'm going to focus all the way down to verse number 15 and then I'll probably reference some of the others throughout my message. But verse 15 says, yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. Paul is referring to those that are under the law. And, uh, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Aren't you glad the veil is taken away? Amen. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Unveiled. That's what we are. We are an unveiled people. Now, some of us don't even really know what a veil is anymore because even at weddings, the veil has kind of, for a lot of weddings, gone by the wayside. But the, the veil is something that was worn to cover the face or the countenance of somebody that was not going to be revealed. And Paul uses this terminology to tell us that those that dwell in the Old Testament, if you will, or in the law of Moses, they had a veil over their faces. They had a veil that was covered. And I will say this, that veil was put there by the Lord. And the reason why I say that is because if you read chapter 3, Paul lets us know that when Moses was given the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, it says that he came back, but he had to veil his face because the glory of the Lord was so powerful emanating from him that it would have damaged, if you will, the people that were that day. So they kept Moses veiled as he revealed the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel. That's key to understand because of what this day represents. This day is called Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost simply means 50. There's not a magical term. How many have ever heard of a Pentecostal church? Some of you, most of you have heard of a Pentecostal church. They get their terminology. They call themselves a Pentecostal church because to the best of their ability, they form and they fashion their church structure and they claim to come from Acts chapter 2, where the day of Pentecost was fully come. And we're going to probably reference Acts chapter 2 a couple times today. Because we are, if you will, a Pentecostal church. Now, it's not in our name. We're not a denomination. But we believe that we stem, as an independent spirit of grace church, we stem from what took place in Acts chapter 2, which is traditionally known as the birth of the church. And so, what does Pentecost really entail? Well, 
Pentecost is a Greek term that references really a Hebrew feast or a Jewish feast, which is the Feast of Weeks. Um, and, and what ends up happening in the Old Testament. Now, I love holidays. Um, and the Jews loved holidays. And the reason why I like holidays the way Jews like holidays is because they didn't call them a holiday, they called them a feast. And their feasts weren't usually a one-day holiday. Their feasts usually went on at least a week. And so this was a seven-week feast that took place from Passover to Pentecost. And it was a 50-day period. Now, in the Old Testament, uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of teaching a little bit because I want to give you some background because I want to get to the point where I can bring all of this together to where we are today. In the Old Testament, there were some things that happened to the children of Israel that were absolutely amazing. Okay? They got to experience and see the ten plagues that God put on Egypt. Okay? Before Egypt finally let them go. And uh, so, on the last one, which they classified as Passover, what they did, what God said is put the blood on the doorposts and on the and on the top of the door so that when the death angel passes by, passes over, he'll not come and take the firstborn of that household, whoever had the blood applied. And so the children of Israel, the Jews, if you will, began to celebrate Passover every year, celebrating the night that, the, the, that God passed over because of the blood that was applied to their doors. That, that they would and, and spared their firstborn, if you will. They, they, they celebrate that. And we celebrate that as well. We just call it Easter. And, and, I'll, and I'll tie that together because Easter happens at Passover. Easter is when the blood was shed. Easter was when the death angel passes over us because we are all at the foot of Calvary where the blood of Christ is poured out. And, and so it, it's, it's equivalent to that. And so in the Old Testament, they would celebrate that. And about 50 days later, they would celebrate the Feast of Weeks, which was also a, a day of harvest. It was a, it's a feast of harvest as well as uh, a celebration of the giving of the Torah, giving of the law of Moses. And so since then, it's, I'm going to probably butcher the pronunciation, but it's Shavuot or Shavuot. It's S-H-A-V-O-U-T. You say it how you want to. But that's the Jewish feast, if you will. That's the Jewish feast that celebrates the, the feast of first weeks or, or, or the feast of the, the law being given. Here's what I believe that the Lord was trying to tell me when I began to put these two things together. Is that when you receive Calvary... You are receiving your Passover, but when you are receiving your, the law, you are receiving the word. And, and we'll get to that here in just a, a minute. How many have ever heard, if you've been around churches for a long time, uh, how many of you ever heard that the church is spiritual Israel? Anybody ever heard that? Thank God only a few of you. Because we're not spiritual Israel. I understand why they came up with that terminology. They came up with that terminology to really classify that we are the children of the Lord, that we are uh, now God's chosen people, if you will. 
in a certain way that, that that truth does apply. But we are not, the church is not spiritual Israel. You do not become Jewish when you are born again. Okay? You become Christian. And Christianity and Judaism are two parallel systems, but they do not, they are not the same. They have some areas that are alike, but we are not Jewish. We do not become spiritual Jews when we become born again. We become Christians. We become a brand new group of people according to the word of God. Paul says it this way. There's no bond, nor free, no male, no female. It's all one in Christ Jesus. And we become a brand new people, but we are living, if you will, for lack of a better term, a parallel existence to Israel. And so what God does is he takes the things of Israel and he applies certain things to his church. And so he takes the Passover of the Israelite, the Passover of the Jewish culture, and he applies the Passover of the Lamb at Calvary for his new people. And so when you and I come to the Easter celebration, what we are really, we, we say we're, we're celebrating the death, burial, and res resurrection of the Lord. And, and we are. But what is the death, death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord? But a picture of the Israelite Passover when God passed over them and had the blood applied to their doorposts and their, 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 the top of their door. And so they passed over and were uh, a different way of escape was given. You and I are guilty of everything that we've done. But somebody paid a price. And it wasn't me. Jesus paid the ultimate price. His blood was shed. And so we celebrate Easter. So back seven weeks ago, we celebrated Easter. And we love celebrating Easter. It's amazing how many people celebrate Easter. In fact, churches know that you have CE Christians, Christmas and Easter, and they'll come to church to celebrate. But that is only part of what God is trying to do in people. Sometimes we forget about Pentecost. We forget about what happens 50 days after Passover. And then we have some aspects that only use this thing called Pentecost or this Shavuot or Shavuot. We only have that in relation to uh, the birth of the church. And, and, and so, I'm, and I agree with all of that, but there's something deeper and more powerful to this Pentecost. It is at Pentecost where the veil is removed. It is at Pentecost where we begin to see the things of the Spirit more clearly. Now, we're always going to see through a glass darkly until we see Him face to face. But as, as we come through Pentecost, we begin to see things a little bit differently. And not only do we begin to see things differently, we begin to be seen differently. So what happens at Pentecost? Well, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Ghost falls. Fills the whole house. It fills everybody. They speak in another language as the Spirit gives them utterance. And that by the end of that chapter, 3,000 souls are added to the church. Amazing. Powerful. Anointed. Exciting. I love having the Holy Ghost poured out. I love being a part of a church that traces its roots back to that chapter. But I have gotten so tied up with one aspect of Acts chapter 2 that I never really paid attention in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Think of this. 
Clearly, this is Paul writing, you are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is not written with pen and ink, but with the spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. What happens? What happens at Pentecost? It goes from the law that's written in pen and ink to something that's written on the inside of us. There's something that's transitioned from that which is rock hard to something that is fleshly, that is soft, that is pliable, that is movable, that is anointable. We are confident of all this because of our great trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. He has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is a covenant not writ- of written laws, but of the spirit. The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, spirit gives life. Think of that. What are we celebrating today? We are the celebrating the transition from death to life. I'm thankful for Easter, but something happens at Pentecost. I'm thankful for the blood that was applied at Easter and the blood that was shed at Easter. But I am even more grateful for the spirit that gives life. The Pentecost spirit, if you will. The Pentecostal spirit that came through the things of God, not the things of men, that enabled us to sense and to move and to feel what we're feeling. Do you understand that before Pentecost, you would not have felt what you felt today? Because everything before Pentecost, excuse me, was letters and written. And the Bible says this, the, the, the law speaks unto death, but the Spirit gives life. The law will only give you death. You can't get anything but death. You think about it. What do our laws in Scripture do? The Bible says it's a schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. But really, what does the law do? The law says you are guilty. And can I tell you that there's really no rating of guilt or law-breaking? I'll tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says this. If you break one, you've broken them all. Mm -hmm. So if you have told a lie, you have committed a murder. That's pretty strong. That's not me, by the way. That's that's the Lord's judgment. You see, here's what you have to understand. Is that the Passover is all about death. The Passover is all about bloodshed. And can I just tell you that there has been very few dramatic presentations that would show you how gory Easter really was. Easter wasn't golden eggs hidden in a tree looking for 50 cents, at least in the Sanders Stenson household. I think the grandma's an up the ante too. It was 50 cents when I was a kid. It's not some bunny rabbit. 
And don't get me wrong, I don't mind all of the commercialization and the and the celebration. Hey, listen, if I can get somebody to think about Easter for a minute and it takes a bunny, let's get them to talk about Easter and then let's transition from the bunny to the blessing. Amen. I, I, I'm not against all that stuff, but Easter is messy. It is, there's blood everywhere. Can I just tell you, and I don't mean to be gory, but Calvary's gory. When, when Jesus was beaten, it wasn't just with a nice little belt on the back. It was a cat of nine tails. It was about this long. It had rock and bone and chip all through it. In fact, I just found a video. Scott's here. He's in a video. Way back when, when we did a drama out at, Cal, uh, out at uh, college. And, and I remember because we put this piece of leather on the back of one of the twins. We had twins playing Jesus. It was really nice to have a clean Jesus and a messed up Jesus all at the same time. And, and, and we had, I think it was, I think Darren was, or Daryl was the one that we brutalized. And so we had a big piece of leather on the back and, uh, of his back to protect him because we really wanted to whip him. And so uh, uh, Don Schnur was our teacher and so we took the little plastic gloves and we cut the fingers off and we put dramatic blood inside of them and we taped them under the back so that when the whip came across Daryl's back, it would, it, you'd see the blood splatter. Listen, it was the one time Daryl never acted because when he got hit with it, one of the, one of the whips came around the side of him. It happened in Kansas City too, but it came around and it snapped past the leather piece that we had attached because we had strobe lights going and everything. And you heard Darren's, or Daryl scream. And that was just one hit. Otherwise, he was getting hit on a big leather piece and it was acting. But you could tell the difference. Can I just tell you, when Jesus was scourged, it was no leather piece blocking it. There was nothing. There was no pretend about it. It was bone and chip that was tearing his flesh apart. And we get this picture of, of the scourging of Christ from his shoulders to his Listen, it was from the top of his head to the sole of his feet, all along the back. It was brutal. It's all about death. Easter. We, we, we like to focus in on the resurrection, and that's powerful, but it's really about death. Seven weeks later, 50 days later, is Pentecost, and that's when death becomes life. That's when something brand new breathed into the, the followers of Christ. That's when the Holy Ghost begins to operate. It's 50 days later. Now, does he ever stop operating? No. But, but it's in this moment, in this time of Pentecost. In fact, the Bible says it this way. There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. That's not even very rushing. I thought of this last week. Owen had his final concert. And to, to meet all the protocols, they did it out in the football stadium. And so they were up on the bleachers and we were sitting down. It was a great concert. But they had a little microphone there that they had to keep turning off because the wind would blow. And you'd hear the wind in the speaker. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sitting there. And, and maybe this is when the Lord started speaking to me about this message. I wonder what it sounded like on the day of Pentecost. Because on the day of Pentecost, they couldn't turn the mic off. 
there was a wind that we, can I just tell you, I sensed that same wind here this morning. Yeah, you may not have heard the storm of wind, but as you began to worship, there was a building of the winds of the Holy Ghost. Because here's what happens. For those that have been baptized in the Holy Ghost, as you begin to worship, you are releasing that life-giving force. The Bible says you begin to reflect because you've been unveiled. You begin to reflect the glory of the Lord. And as you begin to worship, that spirit that's in you begins to boil over, begins to spread out. And so the person sitting next to you all of a sudden feels something a little bit different. And the person over here, and I watched from the back, and then I walked kind of up here towards the front before I come up to speak. And I watched as God was ministering to some of you in a very personal way. I saw some of you having tears in your eyes. Some of you were just enthralled with the presence of God. Some of you were reacting to what God was doing. But all across this place, there was a movement of the Spirit. Was that done because of something that we were doing on the platform or with the sound? No, that is the spirit of Pentecost. And when God begins to move at Pentecost, he doesn't stop moving after Pentecost. This is the one thing that you have to understand. He has never died again, but he has been alive forevermore. You see, Easter is but one moment, but the Pentecost is from then until even now. We celebrate Pentecost on a daily basis. God is trying to breathe life into somebody today. He'll try to breathe life into somebody tomorrow. He'll try to breathe life into somebody again on Tuesday. Pentecost is not a one-day experience. It is an everyday experience. Passover is a one-day experience. Pentecost is a daily experience. Yes, glory. Hallelujah. I thought of this on Friday morning at 4.15 in the morning. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. <clears throat> a couple of years ago, they put me on a CPAP machine. So I, when I sleep at night, I've got the mask on and the wind is blowing and I sleep like a baby. I may look like an alien, but I sleep like a baby. But this is how I had to wake up on Friday morning. I was suffocating. Literally. Because the power in the house went out. And so I had the mask on my face. And all I was breathing in was the mask. I didn't really know what was going on, but it was very quick that I figured it out because our ceiling fan was off and it was pitch black in our house. I couldn't see anything, but I couldn't breathe either. I'm thinking, what world is going Finally, I got the mask off and was able to breathe again. But in that moment of time, the startling fact of not being able to breathe. Man, come on. Because the power source was shut off. Ah, yeah, yeah. Come on. Frightened me. Startled me. Can I just tell you, Pentecost is where I find my power source. And when Pentecost gets cut off, it scares the fire out of me because I can't find myself breathing anymore. Spiritually, I start suffocating. Spiritually, I start struggling and gasping until I can figure it out. I just have to get back to Pentecost. I have to get back to where the Spirit is flowing because when I don't, I begin to die because when I don't, I begin to suffocate because the letter can only suffocate and cause death. Releases it. 
Hebrews chapter 10 says it this way. So dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter into heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we have heard for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Passover was just the precursor to Pentecost. Without the Passover, we can't have Pentecost. But the Passover was good on its own. But it just set up or prepared the path for Pentecost. What do I mean? When Jesus died and when he was hanging on the cross and the blood was flowing, he cried out, it is finished and he gave up the ghost and died and the Bible says at that moment there was a rending of the veil in the temple from the top to the bottom and where man could not be the one responsible but God Almighty began to rip the veil if you don't understand what I'm talking about in the Old Testament tabernacle plan and temple plan that God had lined up he had given different compartments that people were allowed to but into the most holy place where his presence was, where the Ark of the Covenant was. The high priest could only go in there, and when he went in there, he went through a whole bunch of stuff to get in there. And, and they put a rope around his waist so that if he stopped hearing the bells on the bottom of his garment, they knew that he had passed away because he didn't enter the proper way. And they would have to pull him out of the tabernacle of the Holy of Holies. And nobody could go in there, but then once a year at Passover, a priest would go in and he would put blood on the Ark of the Covenant. And if God accepted the sacrifice, the Bible says the glory cloud of God would come down and lift up and wrap up all the blood that was on it, and their sins would be moved ahead one more year. But when Jesus died and his blood was shed, God himself didn't just go into the holiest of holies and make a temporary adjustment. He went in and he just ripped the veil in two so that anybody thereafter could enter into his presence. Listen, I'm thankful for the Passover, but the Passover just got me to Pentecost because at Pentecost I can go boldly into the throne room of grace. I can call on him for healing. I can call on him for deliverance. I can call on him for a miracle. I can take my finances to him. I can take my family to him. Pentecost is the thing that lets me get to him. Because the veil is removed. You see, Jesus was on earth about 40 days after he resurrected. And then he sent his disciples and those in 120. In Acts chapter 1, they said, go, tarry in Jerusalem until you receive the promise. Which was about a 10-day wait. Now, the Bible tells me this. There was 120 in the upper room that day. But can I just tell you, I don't believe it started at 120. I believe there was 120 people left 
when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Why do I say that? I really don't, this is just Tim, Tim Sanders' theology. I, there's no scripture for this, okay? This is just me thinking out loud. But there were multitudes of people that followed Jesus around. Multitudes. And out of the multitudes, listen, he had fed 5,000 men, not including the women and children. When you get all of those people, he fed them, he performed miracles. I just have a hard time believing that they could only scrape up 120 people to show up at the upper room the, the day that Jesus sent them to Jerusalem. I can't tell you how many there were there. There may have been 5,500, there may have been 126, I don't know. But there was 120 when it was done. My question is, is where did the others go? If in fact there were others there. I wonder how many people may have been there at the beginning of those 10 days that got tired of waiting for their own personal Pentecost and walked away. And there was 120 that were left. 120 faithful souls that's, that waited for the promise of the Father. Pentecost. That life giving, life breathing force. Don't get me wrong. I'm thankful for the Old Testament. I really am. I'm thankful for the law. I celebrate with the Jews on Shavuot when, when they received the law and Moses came down and the power was so glorious that he had to be veiled. But I am more grateful for Pentecost when we were unveiled and we were able to see clearly and we were able to stay, people were able to see the glory of God among the people. Can I just tell you in Acts chapter 2, they made quite a scene. You think that we're emotional. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. It's the third hour of the day. And those that are watching them are accusing them of being drunk. Peter says, these are not drunk as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was prophesied by Joel. In the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. All flesh. Can I tell you, it's still poured out on all flesh. Everybody has had the Spirit of God poured out on them. It's just not everybody's received it yet. Are you one of those that struggled for the 10 days waiting for your Pentecost? Or are you ready to say, God, change whatever needs to be changed in me. Change whatever in my life is hindering me from having that freedom to go through the veil. Because God, I'm tired of living a veiled life. I'm ready for you to unveil me. See, I close with this. I find it interesting that traditionally during weddings, 
the bride will come with a veil on. I, I didn't do the research on it because it wasn't that big of a deal to me. <laughs> but, so I didn't research where it started and what it was. I just know that that was the tradition is that the, the bride would come in and they would be veiled and then somewhere in the ceremony, the bridegroom would unveil the bride and according to Brother Trout, would greet them. <clears throat> Can I just tell you that they may have gotten that tradition from scripture? Because the Bible says that we are the bride of Christ and we have been living under a veil. Some of you are newer to this thing and you're, you've been asking yourself, why didn't I see this 10 years ago? Because you were veiled. Why, why didn't I see, why didn't I have this revelation 15 years ago? Because you were living under a veil. But somewhere along the line, you had your Pentecost and the bridegroom came and took the bride, the, the veil, and pulled the veil over. And now you are looking clearly into Jesus. And Jesus is looking clearly into you. That's what Pentecost is all about. Pentecost is the harvest of relationship with Jesus Christ. And can I tell you something? That when, when they would celebrate the harvest, it was celebrating the culmination of the planting and the growing season. And so it was an end time kind of celebration. But Jesus, because he does everything backwards from the way we do it, his Pentecost is the start of something great. You see, you may have been 50 years old when you had your personal Pentecost, but now you're just getting ready to start. Now you're just getting ready to go. Now you're just getting ready to have all kinds of new things. You're going to learn to talk differently, think differently, see differently, act differently. Everything's going to change. And people are going to look at you like you've lost your ever-loving mind. Because you're not like you were before. That's okay. You've been unveiled. And the glory of God is revealing itself through you to somebody else. They may not understand what they're seeing because they're still living a veiled life. But just begin to live in God, live in His Word, and let your face glow from the glory of God. And eventually they will have the same experience where the bridegroom comes and removes the veil. And they'll look at you and say, that's why you're like you are. Because now I'm like you are. See, every one of us is different. And we all come to our Pentecost at different times. And, and, and dare I say, like I said, Passover is once. Pentecost is daily. I've had said so many Pentecost experiences in my life. It's amazing to me. I know the first time I experienced Pentecost was on June 16, 1980 at Camp Galilee, Minnesota. I know that. That's out in, just in uh, Cottage Grove area. And, and I was at a church camp and, and all kinds of people were praying around me. And, and I've kind of told the story for some of you before. I went down to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost because I was ticked off with myself and ticked off with God. Because he filled my cousin the year before. And I got homesick and chickened out and went home from camp. Missed out. 
So I was bound and determined, God, I'm going to be the very first one to get the Holy Ghost this year. It's my 10-year-old thinking. Greg Bixby finished his message. As soon as he finished, I was running to the altar. And shortly thereafter, the Lord buried me in his spirit. Baptized me, immersed me. I've never been the same ever since. Why? Because I have a personal Pentecost. We celebrate Pentecost Sunday, 50 days after Easter. But Pentecost is an experience that you can have at any moment of any hour of any day. It's something that I have experienced over and over. I just experienced it, like I said, Friday. It was a Pentecost experience when the power went out and I couldn't breathe. There's somebody here that's like me. You have felt disconnected from the power source. And you have been struggling to breathe. Today is your day to plug back in. And it may take a short amount of time to get the power back up. It took us almost nine hours on Friday to get our power back on. Thankfully, I had good work. I had AC in my truck. <laughs> the boys didn't. Not only that, they couldn't access their computers either. Only they. <laughs> It just takes one moment, one wire, if you will, that reconnects all of the power that you need. And this may be your Pentecost Sunday to reconnect. Maybe you've never been connected. Maybe you're living a life underneath the veil. Listen, I don't mean to say that condemningly. I don't mean to say that negatively. But we've all been there. Can I tell you part of the reason why I'm a crazy man up here when I preach is because there is an energy that is flowing in me that I used to not have. Even when I started out my ministry of preaching, I preach totally different now than I did 15 years ago. You can ask my wife. It's totally messed up. <laughs> I used to be very, very educated. I knew how many pages of notes got me 45 minutes, and I knew how many, page, how many basically how many words. I knew what font it was going to be, I knew what size it was going to be, and I didn't sway from those notes. Now, I don't use notes. Why? I'll tell you why. What do you think? <laughs> it gets me in trouble, though. I'll tell you why, what the difference is. I've had some Pentecost in the last 15 years that has changed and transformed the way I think. Was I lost when I did it that way? No. Was I unsaved when I did it that way? No. It was just God is constantly molding us and forming us because Pentecost is an everyday deal while Passover is a one-time opportunity. Now we can go to the we can go to Calvary and find repentance, but the blood was only shed one time. 
We can obviously go back and get forgiveness, but it's when you receive the forgiveness now, it's still based off that one-time event 2,000 and some years ago. But my Pentecostal experience was 20 minutes ago. When I'm standing there in the presence of God because the veil has been rent in two. I invite you to stand. Here's what I sense in the spirit. God's heart of love is just going. He, he, his heartbeat is for you right now. There is somebody that has come here today. And you have become so weak and tired and afraid and fragile. And in your spirit, you're thinking that one more thing is just going to totally break. The pressure has been immense. And you have thought about just totally giving up and going your own way. But God has brought you to this house this day, Pentecost Sunday, and he has been reaching for you all morning long. I have seen it in your face. I have watched it as they say. I have been watching your face as I have preached. And there is such a yearning in your spirit to receive your own Pentecost. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the 50th time. But you have become so tired. And the things of life have worn you out so much. But God has stepped into this house. And where two or three are gathered together in his name, there he is in the midst of them. And he is wanting to touch you. He is wanting to minister to you. He is wanting to embrace you. I'm not talking about who we prayed for earlier. This is uh, somebody else to, today that has just been struggling. You haven't given up on God, but you just, it's been a long time since you just really felt him. I'm asking you now, would you raise your hands in the presence of God? I hear the winds of Pentecost. I hear the breath of life. I hear the anointing of Jesus. In the name that is above every name, for at your name every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. I release it right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.
from the top of his head. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, would you begin to worship with me by the authority of the word of God. Loosen in him, I pray right now. Lord, that there be a sanctification of your spirit. I speak Jesus over him right now. Jesus in the dark. 